everyone, and welcome to episode 16 of Authors on a Podcast Talking Books. I'm your host, David Walters. Today, I have the pleasure of chatting with horror and dark fantasy writer Tim Levin. Tim is the New York Times bestselling author of Coldbrook, The Silence, and The Relics Trilogy. He has also written many successful movie novelizations and tie-ins for Firefly, The Cabin in the Woods, 30 Days of Night, and Alien, among several others. Tim has won three British Fantasy Awards, a Bram Stoker Award, a Shocker, a Tombstone, and has been a finalist for the International Horror Guild and World Fantasy Awards. His novel, The Silence, is now a Netflix original movie starring Stanley Tucci. But without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Tim Levin. Hi, David. How are you? That sounds almost impressive. (laughs) Hey, right? I'm doing fine. How are you doing? I'm really good, thank you. Sorry, taking a swig of coffee there. Oh, you're completely fine. <laughs> wow, drinking coffee at five o'clock at night, man. You've—I <laughs> don't know if I could do that. I, you know, I've never had that problem. I've got friends who who don't drink a coffee after midday because they can't sleep. I, I often have one before I go to bed, and I, I have no problem sleeping. Man, that, that's uh, maybe that, that's a that's a clear conscience. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, that's like I, I've got to have one first thing when I wake up, and then. I've got friends that I work with that'll drink two or three cups throughout the day and they'll have like their last one at like 3 p.m. So they've only right. got, you know, an hour or two left to work. And I go, I just, you know, I can't, I can't stomach it. I don't, I don't know what it is, but I have to have one in the morning or else I'll go up the rest of the day with a headache. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so have you, uh, have you had a pretty good day so far? I know you've pretty much had almost a full day. <laughs> yeah. Good day. Uh, uh, swim with my wife and, uh, coffee and cake with her afterwards that's the second coffee um yeah been a been a good day but like i like we chatted before the before we started the chat we're in the uk we're weathering storm dennis at the moment which is like 70 mile an hour winds and heavy rain so um yeah so we're just battening down the hatches in the house for the evening now yeah i guess you're trying to make sure you don't lose power <laughs> yeah, well if uh, if we do you'll be the first to know yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know we uh we, we finally have gotten a couple of consecutive days with sun. I mean, granted, it's in like the 40s and 50s, but the past week we've gotten six or seven inches of rain over consecutive days. So, yeah. And uh, and then we had some tornadoes actually touch down within the past two weeks. So it's it's been, it's been lovely. <laughs> yeah, it's great. I want yeah. snow. I like snow. I'm jealous. I caught up with my mate uh, Rio Ewers the other day, and he, um, he Skyped me his view from his window. Is, is decking with his hot tub and eight inches of snow. It's just <laughs> wonderful. He lives in Canada. He's got snow for like four months of the year. Right, I'm, right. I'm so jealous. I know. Yeah, I uh, we we get snow maybe once a year, and it's really rare that it actually sticks. But normally, when it does, we go into like alert mode and everything shuts down because we don't know how to handle it. <laughs> yeah, that's the UK. One inch of snow and the rails stop. The, the trains stop and the, you know nobody can drive anywhere. It's pathetic. Yeah, yeah. We we had a what we called a snow apocalypse. Gosh, I don't even remember how many years. I guess six years ago or so. And uh, it basically came to the point where all the roads were iced over, and you saw these pictures of like cars on fire and people like <laughs> stranded in their cars, like you know huddling up for warmth overnight. And I'm like, it's like the apocalypse, pretty yeah. much. Was that two inches of snow then? Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> Yeah, um, it's crazy. Yeah, I, and I know Rio a little bit. I We kind of chat back and forth on social media. I think uh, a couple of years ago, The Forgotten Girl came out, and that's kind of when I started getting introduced to his work. And then uh, Westlake Soul is still probably one of my favorite reads ever. Oh, uh, it, it's rubbish. He's a terrible writer. 
<laughs> I'm yeah. hoping, I hope he's listening. <laughs> so. I'm going to make him listen, though. Yeah. yeah, please. Please do. So then he can come on and start trashing you, right? Oh, totally. You know, Rick, one of these people, he's, he's, uh, he's great fun to be around. He plays guitar, he sings, and he's a fucking great writer, and um, he's, he's going to have to go, basically. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, kind of starting out, tell me a little bit about yourself, about growing up, uh, going through school, hobbies you had outside of school, and so forth like that. Okay, yeah. Um, so I was born in London, but I was brought up in, in Devon, in the countryside, in the southwest of England, um, until I was nine. And probably even at that stage, I probably started writing when I was nine or ten. And I moved, I moved to Wales at that age with my family, because my dad's job. Um, and even back then, my hobbies were writing, I think, really. Uh, certainly through my teens, I started and didn't finish many novels, um, none of which I've still got. And I really, really wish I still had some of those. I saw a Twitter posting the other day. It was Ron Malfi, I think, who, who'd found a load of his old novels that he wrote when he was a kid. Mm-hmm. So all these colorful covers he he designed and great titles. And he must have had a dozen of them. It made me, made me quite jealous that... Um, and made me wish I kept some of mine and probably glad I'd thrown some of them as well. But <laughs> yeah. So through my, through my teens, I was, um, I was writing, but never really seen it as, as, as a, as a career or anything like that. Um, it's not something that you, when you're in school, you get careers advisors or whatever careers days. It's very rare that you'll, you'll have a teacher saying to you, or oh, maybe you should be a writer. It's like you join the forces or you'd be a plumber or, um, you know, a bricklayer. And that, that's what it was like when I was a kid anyway. So yeah. I think, I don't think I even had the idea in my head that you can write for a living, you know, even though I loved reading and I read a book a day back back then. Um, but uh, I think the the first, I can remember the, the moment where I actually thought to myself, oh, I could be a writer. It was like my early 20s. I'd written a short story, put it in for a, a competition, which it completely failed to win. But um, I had good feedback on it and I, I thought, oh, maybe I could carry on doing this. And from that moment on, really, even though I had a, I had a day job from 18 onwards, um, I was working towards being a writer, really, uh, from that moment on. So, yeah, that was my early years. I've lived in Wales ever since. Um, so it's sort of strange. I'm half Welsh, half English. But the more time goes on, the more I'm probably Welsh because my kids are Welsh, my wife's Welsh. And I've lived here 41 years, so I guess I'm pretty Welsh. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, just based on, I guess, me following you on social media, I see you do a lot of, um, I guess, bike riding, and I guess you do a lot of marathons and stuff too? Yeah, yeah, only for the last nine or ten years. So in my, in my early 40s, um, I was like 40 pounds heavier than I am now and, and unfit and uh, – and sort of hit a sort of a milestone. It was New Year's Day when I was 41 years old. We went for a walk to the local pub and I, I found it really hard getting there. And it's like a three mile walk up, to, up into the hills. And I remember thinking then, oh, I, I might just as well give in now. You know, I'm 41, I'm never going to change. But I, I did change. And um, it's a very long story, but I'll give you the, the short story is that I, I met a friend who of the same age <clears throat> who I hadn't seen for a while. And he he'd lost like, 30, 40, 50 pounds. And, and I said, what happened to you? And he, he said, I got fit. So we chatted and then I committed to doing like a big uh, endurance walk with him. And I went a bit extreme from then on and started running and then biking a couple of years later and then swimming and then triathlons. 
I've done a few Ironmans and uh, and various other wacky stuff. So yeah, that's it's become a bit of a lifestyle really more than more than anything. I gotcha. Yeah, have you done like uh, I don't know if they do these in the UK, but they do like mud runs and Spartan races and stuff like that, where you have like a bunch of obstacles that you're doing all in the mud. <laughs> but, yeah, we, we do have them here. I've never actually done one, and I, I sort of I sort of like to, but I'm so I'm so into triathlon that my worry with stuff like that is injury. You know, yeah. you jump off a jump off a wall, get electrocuted, eaten by an alligator, <laughs> get your foot bitten, off. and then I you know all the triathlons I've signed up for, I'd have to cancel. So. I do. I do fancy doing one of those. I might. It's sort of an end of season race. So maybe I'll. Maybe I'll. I've got three or four triathlons lined up this year. But maybe I'll uh, look for something like that later in the year. I gotcha. Yeah, so yeah. It's a bit more hardcore, isn't it? You know. Yeah. You see, yeah. You see, you see, go ahead. Race. Yeah, it's mad, mad stuff. Yeah, it's, you know, crawling on your belly under barbed wire and. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, what am I? Am I signing up for the military or am I doing a fun run? I can't decide. <laughs> it does appeal to me, so because I, I like. Uh, you know, as time has gone on, I've found that I'm more drawn towards the sort of more gnarly stuff. Mm-hmm. So this, this year I did a, a race called the Fan Dance, which is a SAS selection race. Um, obviously, I wasn't selected. Uh, but it, it's, it's, it's part of their selection process, the SAS. Um, and it was, it was horrible. It was up and down over a mountain twice, the biggest mountain, tallest mountain in South Wales. Horrible, but I love doing it. And... Uh, yeah, I don't know what it says about me that I like doing these these weird things, these these quite you know ridiculously tough things. But right, uh, I, I guess I'm pushing to find my limits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it's kind of it's kind of like you know preparing yourself to see if you can you know see if you can do it. It's like once you finish, you're like, okay, I completed that. What's next? Yeah, it's it's it is like that. Yeah, yeah. And I like I say, I did I did go a little bit extreme, but the, but I'm sort of embedded in the. the um, you know, I'm, I've got a lot of good friends that do all this sort of stuff, and they're much, much better than me. I'm in a triathlon club, and there's guys there who are, who could, you know, they're semi-professional, and they're they, they're doing sub nine-hour Ironmans, whereas I do, you know, my fastest is is over twelve hours. So they're um, proper nutcases. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so yeah, I haven't I haven't done anything to that extreme. I've done a couple of we have. I don't know if they still do them or not, but they had a trend going of, of what they call color runs. It was like, you know, a couple like 5k, 10k runs. And basically right. it was just, you start out with like all white clothing. And then as you go through, you're just pelted with colored powder. And I a couple see, of times I, I did it on, they it like poured down rain. So it was, it was the most disgusting thing I've ever done, but it was a lot of fun. But you enjoyed it. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then we did, uh, my wife and I did one, um, it literally had rained before we got there, so of course the whole course is covered in mud. But yeah. it was uh, it was like a bunch of giant inflatable obstacles, and oh, so it kind of made you feel like a kid again, you know. So, so you're sitting there bouncing around, covered in mud. <laughs> it's fun though. It's you know it's really good fun, and if it takes you stuff like that takes you out of your comfort zone a little bit, I think it's a good thing. Like I've started comparing stuff like this to writing sometimes and it's sort of it's a weird comparison but it sort of works mm-hmm. so like doing an iron man um it's a bit like writing a novel because you you you, you train for it and you get excited about it and then you start and the, the start starting gun goes and you're in the water and you're swimming two and a half miles and you start off quite well and and halfway through the swim you're feeling a bit worried and then you finish the swim and you're really pumped up and pleased because now it's time for the bike and that's like the beginning that's like the opening of a novel you you jump in and you rush through it and and it um 
at the end of the opening, you're really looking forward to the middle bit. Mm-hmm. And on the Ironman, that's the bike. That's a 112-mile bike. And you've got ups and downs during that as well. And halfway through the bike, you think, there's no way I can finish this. And that's exactly the same as writing a novel. A lot of time, halfway through a novel, I'm thinking, oh, this is crap. It's, what's the point of doing this? What was I thinking of? And then you finish the bike uh, and you're pumped up for the marathon then at the end. And, and it's like getting into the final stretch of a novel. Uh, the more the more I compare the two, the more I think it, it it's the comparisons are quite valid because um, as somebody said about writing once, I hate writing but love having written. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of sometimes what I say about races, these stupid, ridiculous races I do. I, I, I hate doing them but love having done them. <laughs> I don't think I'd ever say I don't hate writing and I don't hate racing, but there, there's, there's, a, um, there's an element of masochism to both, really, I think. Yeah. And also, yeah, I, I don't want to analyze too much because I don't know what it says about me. But, um, yeah, there's there's a definite comparison. <laughs> I got you. So uh, what sort of work were you in prior to writing? Oh, I could tell you, but I'd have to kill you. Oh. Uh, it wasn't very creative. I was in the building industry over here. So I was a surveyor, um, which is like, I'm not sure you have like quantity surveyors in the States. So I, I was a cost consultant in the construction industry, basically. Okay. Uh, which sometimes was creative, you know, some creative number crunching going on. But um, it was something I, I fell into out of school. I didn't, I didn't get exam grades good enough for me to go to university, um, which is, I, I try not to do regrets, but it's one of my big regrets because my daughter's in uni at the moment and she is having such a great time. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm, I'm living vicariously through her at the moment. Um, but, yeah, so I sort of fell into this job, which... I quite enjoyed for a while and I studied and I got a degree. I got a good, good degree doing it. Um, and then like 18 or 19 years, I was a surveyor and the money was quite good. So it, it sort of established, um, established my wife and I helped, helped establish us with a house and, you know, help when we started having a family. But the last few years of work, I knew that I, I wanted to write and I was being published at the time as well. I started being published. So every, every year I, I got more disenchanted with my job and more sort of passionate about the writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went, I went part-time first. I, I went two and a half days a week in work for four years when I was uh, in my early thirties. And then when I was 36, I guess I quit full, uh, quit work and went full-time writing. Okay. So I guess, yeah. was that about the time you start, you were, I guess, writing Coldbrook and a few of the other earlier novels? Um, I can remember the first, my first day as a full-time writer, I remember what I did and it was, it was the opening of, um, 30 days of night. Okay. Um, yeah, cause I novelized the movie. Right. So yeah, that was my first day's work. I did like 4,000 words that first day and I was so pleased with myself. And then day two, I had the shooting scripts from the publisher and it was totally different. So, so I had to scrap, <laughs> had to scrap my first day's full-time work and start again. But, um, yeah, I can't remember which one of my own novels. I think Colbrook was was um, later than that. Uh, I guess which one of my own novels was I writing at the time? I think I'd left, uh, I'd left Leisure by then, and I think I was writing the fantasy novels for Bantam. So okay. Dusk, okay. Dawn, Fallen, and the Island, and Echo City, and stuff like that. Okay. Um, yeah, but it was, uh, yeah, no doubt in my mind, the best choice, best decision I've ever made, and I haven't, haven't looked back. Yeah. You know, 
I don't sit here at night after writing my novels thinking, oh, I wish I was still a surveyor. <laughs> it just doesn't, doesn't happen. <laughs> Leaving that glamorous world, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So the, the only thing I, you know, I sort of miss, um, I'm quite good in my own company and, and I, I never... I never feel that writing is a lonely job because I collaborate a lot. I, you know, there's lots of Skype things going on and social media. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I don't, I'm never lonely, but I, I sort of miss the, uh, the, some of the people I work with and miss working in an environment where there's lots of other people. Um, but I've, I've even grown to, you know, I, I'm quite happy in my own company when I'm working as well. So it's, uh, it's not too bad. Yeah. Well, see, you need to get those people under the triathlon club. So <laughs> yeah, it's, True. Yeah. Um, so, so that, the, so that first day when you, when you write that 4,000 words and the next day at the scrap it all, did you, did you think any bit in your mind going, is this really what I want to do? <laughs> oh no, I knew, I knew it was what I wanted to do. I mean, it, it, it was what, it was what I wanted to do for a very long time. Uh, and that's, that's happened since, you know, there's, you don't sell every word you write and, and every word you write doesn't get published. And it, it just, it's just funny that it happens to me my, the first day um in some of these novelizations that happens you you finish you finish the novelization and then they send you the actual shooting script and you have to go back and tweak what you've done and and not be too anxious about it you know uh yeah, yeah just that first day damn it <laughs> <laughs> so uh you said you read growing up and you said you were reading about a book a day you know obviously i don't know how many people that can do that but you know it makes it makes a good bit of sense because a lot of a lot of writers read a whole lot when they're growing up. But who would you say, I guess, influenced you more in your writing, or uh, who kind of started you into like, I think I can do this. Uh, right, I think uh, so. I was reading a book a day all through my sort of pre-teens and early teens. Now nowadays, I'm lucky if I read a book every two weeks or right. three weeks, but. Um, when I was nine or 10, probably when I was 10 years old, or maybe 11 years old, my mum gave me uh, The Rats by James Herbert, which was opened my eyes because up until then I'd been reading um, a really good series of books uh, by Willard Price called uh, The Adventure Novels. So that, that was my sort of go-to writer when I was nine, 10, 11. And then mum gave me The Rats by James Herbert, which is, is an adult novel in every sense of the word. I mean, James Herbert loved his sex scenes and violence and I was really gory and I, holy shit, what's this? And I read that and I never looked back really, uh, read everything Herbert had written and then moved on to Stephen King and Clive Barker. Um, and for a little while, it was just those three. I think it was probably when I was 12, 13, 14, I was reading King's books again and again and again and Clive Barker. And I, I remember thinking that nobody can be better than this. Well, what's the point of looking around for other stuff? And it was a really, it's a really weird viewpoint because I was such an avid reader. Mm-hmm. But then um, my reading, once I started expanding, it was like a sort of supernova. You know, you you, you find dozens of other writers that you love, and um, and I still go back and read. I still read King now. Everything, <clears throat> every he, he's probably the biggest influence on my writing. And then so many horror writers will say that, but I've just got to be honest about it. it it's Stephen King is still He's still the governor, as far as I'm concerned, really. Um, James Herbert, less so. I mean, I, I, I haven't read a James Herbert book in a long time, mm-hmm. but I still have very fond memories of the rats and the fog and the dark and fluke uh, and a lot of those really uh, um, B-horror novels, but but still beautifully written and, and uh, 
he was a great storyteller. Yeah. He's he's actually one of the you know I've met a lot of writers that I, I'm big fans of and uh, not met King but I, you know I'm friends with Joe Lansdale and lots lots of people that I really admire mm-hmm. and then James mm-hmm. Herbert is one of the few that I've met and I felt a bit starstruck you know it's oh my god it's James Herbert <laughs> because because he's he's the guy that got me into it when I was when I was that innocent naive ten or eleven year old yeah. Um, yeah, and, and I do find that a lot of, especially, you know, horror writers and thriller writers all kind of point back to King as being, you know, pretty much the main influence, if not one of the top, you know, three or four uh, yeah. into their writing career. And and I mean, you know, when you have somebody that's been published and has been writing for so long and still continues to put out really good books, yeah. um, I mean, I don't even, I, I can't, I can't, you know, put a number on how many books he's written since he started, but just the fact that it's always... You know, there's always a new one or, or two books a year, and then now he's getting all these you know readaptations of all of his books, and they're actually doing a really good job now <laughs> adapting his his stories. So absolutely, they really are. I mean, up until um, yeah, I mean, the, the first point has he's always been there for me. He's always you know I'm I'm 50 now, so King has always been part of my life really as a as a reader and a and, a, and as a writer as an inspiration. But yeah, it, up until three or four years ago, I think I read somewhere that he'd had like 60 movies made mm-hmm. and you could probably count on one hand the ones that were really good up until a few years ago, you know? Yeah. But yeah. now, but now, yeah, The Outsider and um, uh, uh, follow-up to The Shining, uh, Doctor yeah, Sleep, Sleep. terrific <laughs> film, I thought, really, really great film. Um, yeah, he's having, he's having such good stuff made. It being remade. Yeah, it almost feels like a resurgence. Like it's like, uh, you know, for all yep. those people that didn't read Stephen Cro- or you know Stephen King growing up, here's all of these movies based on his books. <laughs> yeah, I bet he's, I bet his, um, his sales are rocketing again. Not, not that he, you know, not that they were negligible anyway. But I'm, I'm sure we've seen it. It's been reflected in book sales for him, which is great. You know, it, it's, and it, and also hopefully introducing it all to a, introducing him to a whole new sort of uh, generation of readers. Yeah, you can, you can hope anyway. Absolutely. And, you know, he's, he's also kind of propelling other writers kind of into that scene too. I mean, I, I was just uh, going back through the U series by Caroline Ketnis um, and just like my wife and I finished the second season. Then I went back and read the books and, and posted them out there, but you know, he's, you know, his name is on the front of that cover and then those books ended up becoming a, a Netflix series. And then, you know, it's just, it's just so cool seeing that. And I, and I know, uh, I read the other day, or I guess it was yesterday, about how A Head Full of Ghosts by Paul Tremblay is about to be made into a movie by the same director who did the new movie Antlers. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, it's just, it's, it's, it's really cool seeing that. You know, you see this guy who's been propelled to the top of horror, and then everything he touches kind of turns to gold. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, King still blurbs a hell of a lot, you know. But I, 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 I don't think he actually blurbs anymore. He just, he talks about stuff he really likes right. and they bec- that becomes blurbs. I mean, yeah. um, my, my friend Sarah Pimber has been, uh, has had him supporting her on Twitter and also uh, people like Brian Keane, Tremblay, um, all these great writers and uh, Chris Golden. So yeah, he just, if he, if he reads something and loves it, he'll talk about it and, and that can only be good. Yeah. It's, one of my, it's one of my big hopes, you know, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe one day he'll read something of mine. <laughs> Hey, there's, I mean, there's a there's a definite possibility. I mean, I, uh, just before we even talk about your new book, Eden, I just noticed all the blurbs you've got on Amazon now. I mean, you've got 
ones from, you know, you just talked about Sarah Pinboro and you've got Amakatsu yeah. and Paul Tremblay and Adam Neville and Rio Ewers, who your best friend. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. uh, and yeah. of course, yeah, Josh yeah. Mallerman and Jeff Vanderman. It's, it's kind of amazing. So there's, there's, there's a pretty good opportunity that it, it may be up there and you may see him on Twitter. So, yeah, um, I mean, I'm pretty sure he's, uh, I, I know he watched The Silence. Uh, and I know he wasn't a big fan of it because he, he tweeted about it, but uh, <laughs> I sort of hope that doesn't put him off reading the book because, you know, I, I loved the film of The Silence. I thought it was great, but yeah. the book's a different thing, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I'm, I'm pretty sure my publishers probably sent Eden to his 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 pile of books that he's got in his office. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I've heard, I don't know how apocryphal it is, that he there's a room in his office where, where all the books go that he sent to for potential blurbs. Just occasionally he'll go in there and have a browse, pick one up and read it. So it just needs to be top of the pile. That's right, right, exactly, exactly. And, you know, with it with it being a pretty stunning cover in white, there's a high chance, you know, it might be kind of picking his eye out, you know, amongst all the, the dark colors of typical yeah, marks. <laughs> it's, it's one thing Titan do. I mean, they do a lot of stuff well, but their their covers are spectacular, I think. They, they put a lot of effort and, and thought into their covers. And Eden is just wonderful. I think it's beautiful. Absolutely, yeah, and 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 it, you know, honestly, I didn't really know a whole lot about Titan until they started doing the covers for Tremblay's books. Oh yeah, but, that's uh, and those are all beautiful. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. So, and they, the thing they've done with Tremblay is, um, I mean, Paul's one of my he's a really good friend, and he's one of my favorite writers at the moment. But they they sort of um, done this great design that. that carries on from book to book with him yeah and that's yeah. such a great thing it's so recognizable and it's, it's really good um sort of something i had a bit with them with the relics trilogy i wrote e- each cover was obviously reflective of the, the themes of the book yeah but eden eden's a whole new thing for me with them cover wise the silence was great but it, you wouldn't put the silence and eden together and think oh that's the same writer right but with all with paul's books you know there's a, this definite definite sort of um trademark theme Right. And it's, it's, it's great. It works so well. Absolutely. So tell me a little bit about uh, where you typically find yourself writing. Do you write a lot at home? Do you have a home office you write in? Or do you try to go to coffee shops and do that kind of millennial thing where, you know, you sit there with your glasses and your cup of coffee and try to write amongst all the other people? Yeah, that's that's happening more and more, actually. So um, you generally up to now, I've written at home um, and I've got, I'm lucky enough to have a, a room which is you know my den basically my office <clears throat> and I've, I've always written straight onto the computer as well straight onto the keyboard even though i'm a really really terrible three i'm trying to work it out three four finger typist mm-hmm. um but i do i have enjoyed working in in coffee shops over the last couple of years generally with my laptop or with a notebook if i'm just like uh, brainstorming an idea but my new novel i've started um just last month is um, I'm writing it by hand, um, and that's Rio's. Uh, that's a lot of Rio's influence because Rio always writes not writes everything by hand. Um, he goes to bars and coffee shops, and uh, and I, I thought I'd try it, and I'm loving it so much uh, that I can't see myself ever going back. So I still work at home, I still write at home, but by hand. So I'll sit not very rarely at my desk working now, writing actual writing. I'll sit in the in the living room on the sofa or um in the cabin in the garden um but yeah I, I i find especially handwriting this new novel i've been able to go to coffee shops 
and do 2,000 words sitting there with a couple of coffees and a bit of cake and chaos all around me and it doesn't bother me. And I, it works, and I don't know. I don't know why it doesn't bother me all the noise. And I'm this something else I don't want to analyze in case I stop it working. But it, it seems to be working really well. I gotcha. Um, so tell me a little bit about your writing process. Are you, are you a plotter or are you a pantser? Um, generally uh, a pantser, but um, so so usually when I up until recently when I've written a novel, I've I've sold it to a publisher first. And then written it, so I'll do a, I'll do three chapters, and then have to do a fairly detailed breakdown. Um, but with Eden, I wrote on spec, so I wrote the whole novel before selling it, and uh, that's hopefully going to be happening with this new novel I've started now as well. So, um, so I, I, I call myself a pantser, but I do have a fairly good idea where the novel's going, and. Uh, a lot of the content and the characters and the location, but I don't I don't write a really detailed proposal or breakdown. Mm-hmm. And if I do, I tend I tend to spend you know I might write a, a eight page brief of the novel, but then I'll set it to one side and rarely look at it again when I'm writing. It's almost as if I'm creating a blueprint in my head by writing it down, and then I go and write the novel. But I don't I, I don't often look at the proposal again while I'm working. <laughs> I know, you know, people, so every writer works in a different way, I think, but that, that sort of seems to work for me. I gotcha. So, uh, do you typically bring your world together first? Uh, do you have to make sure your plot points all make sense kind of like in an outline or do you typically do characters first and then build everything around them? Um, neither really. I just launch in, I, I, I come up with an idea and I, I, I spend a long time coming up with the first scene or two. Um, sometimes the first chapter so I'll, often I'll find it difficult and even the first sentence I, I often I'll spend hours thinking of the first sentence or the first paragraph of the novel because it needs to be um, needs to be able to feed me into the novel comfortably and make me think oh yeah this is really three dimensional and, and not just uh, you know bland mm-hmm. um, the characters develop as, as the novel goes on because I'm when I'm writing a novel, I'm telling myself the story as well. I, I can't, I don't think I'd be able to write a 30 page outline of a novel with all the character details and all the plot points and then go and write the novel. Cause that would feel like, it would almost feel like novelizing a movie, which I've done several times and there's nothing wrong with that. And I enjoy doing that, but, but writing a novel, I'm essentially telling myself the story. And even towards the end, I speed up, I write quicker because I want to know what happens at the end. Um, again, you know, everyone's different than that. That's, uh, I, I know some people who plot in great detail and then uh, it's like paint by numbers, write by numbers. You know, you write. And even, I even, not not lately, but I did meet somebody once who wrote, they decided, oh, I'm going to write chapter 32 today, even though they're on chapter 17 because chapter 32 is a good action scene. And I couldn't work like that, you know. I I'm, I'm much more sort of organic. Gotcha. Um, <clears throat> so I said a little bit in your introduction about how uh, your book, The Silence, was uh, made into a feature film on Netflix, and that came out last year. Uh, and it stars Stanley Tucci, who, if uh, since I, I kind of run a fantasy podcast, people will probably know him from The Hunger Games. Uh, but he's been in several movies and TV shows, and he's a, he's a really great actor. But tell me about, I guess, your experience uh, 
finding out it was going to be made into a feature film and, and kind of how it was portrayed on the, on the big screen. And I guess any kind of influence you had into to how the script was and how it was finally you know, presented. Yeah. Well, to be honest, we could do hours on this because <laughs> I had such a great time with the silence. It was, um, I've been told, I've been told by people in know who've been through the process that I, I, I pretty much had the dream, the dream Hollywood movie experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, because from beginning to end, it was a real pleasure, and there was there was never any moments. Um, obviously, there was always I was always anxious about whether it was actually going to happen, mm-hmm. because there's a massive build up to this. There's there's the, the script development and the producers and setting it up with a film company, and you know, it's a, it, it in the scheme of things, it was a pretty quick process. The silence, I think, from from sort of producer interest to the movie coming out was uh, maybe eighteen months, if that. Uh, and that's really fast, but up until the, the day they start shooting. So the day they start shooting is when you get your check, basically first day of principal photography. So there, there was a, the, the pressure leading up to that, but everything about the movie, everything about the experience of it was just great. I'm, I'm still friends with the director and the producers. Um, I got to go to set in Toronto um, when they were shooting and I got to meet Stanley and uh, Ken and Shipka. Uh, I got to be a corpse in the movie, which, how cool is that? All right. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, so that took a whole afternoon to shoot that particular scene. Well, not a whole afternoon, but it was a lot, there was a lot of prep. I went to, had to go to makeup and that's made me up, look like a corpse and wardrobe, change into some tatty clothes because they were going to blood me up really good, as they put it, and they did. Uh, I think I'm in the film for like half a second, literally. <laughs> so, um uh, a bit pissed off I didn't get a credit but <laughs> <laughs> in pharmacy but yeah just an amazing experience and I um, I wasn't officially I wasn't sort of contractually or officially involved in script development but I, I did I was contacted quite a few times by I did speak to the writers the Van Dyke brothers who were great uh, and Leonetti John Leonetti the director he and I have become good friends um, spoke to him and I was involved a fair bit in not actually not the, not the sort of creative side of getting the words down on the script but um if they if they came up against a problem in the script john would john would contact me and we'd talk to, talk it through and i I'd, I'd give my my thoughts and ideas um and some of the some of the time it's sort of taking it back towards the novel seemed to work um so so the, i'm really pleased with how the film turned out and i think it's uh, obviously, it's translated to America as opposed to the UK. In, in my head, it was always a, a it's a very sort of UK centric story because it was based in areas where I live. Actually, to the town where I live, it started. Yeah, it's just a dream, dream experience from beginning to end. And then going to LA, my wife and I went to LA last uh, April because there was a, a big screen screening at Netflix. Even though it didn't get any cinema release, Netflix put a screening on for you know whoever wanted to go cast and crew. So yeah, that was a pretty mind blowing experience to be honest. Yeah. I know, uh, I talked to Josh Malone back in December, uh, about when bird box, uh, was, was out on the, and you know, on Netflix. And he mentioned kind of the same things about going to the, you know, premiere and meeting the, the actors and actresses and so forth that were on it and just being kind of starstruck by the whole thing. And, yes. uh, uh, you know, I think at one point they asked him to go walk the red carpet with Sandra Bullock. And he's just like, no, 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 I don't need to be here for this. <laughs> How was that? 
I mean, I, another highlight for me last April was meeting Malibu in, in LA. He happened to be there for a uh, Los Angeles book festival, which I got to go to for a day. And then he and I um, had a great night at a pub called the Naughty Pig. That was a good night. We drank a lot of whiskey. So Josh, <laughs> yeah, Josh and I became good friends that, that over that few, those few days. Okay. He had an experience with Netflix. I mean, my, my experience with them was fantastic, but, but my film wasn't actually made by Netflix mm-hmm. or for them. It was made for... Um, Made for another, uh, made for another distribution company who went through, but they went bust or something happened, and it ended up being bought bought up by Netflix. Okay, but because Netflix made Bird Box, you know, and and I think he had a New York and an LA uh, premiere. Yeah, for he that. did. Yeah, <laughs> just, just awesome. You know, uh, yeah, it's, absolutely. Uh, yeah, it, it's funny. I was I was talking to to Keelan Patrick Burke. Uh, I guess it was a little over a week ago, and he and he also <coughs> talked about a, a whiskey night with Mallerman. So apparently, that's the thing to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you never, you never, well, you do forget them. <laughs> yeah, it was good. It was a good time. He's a he's a really good guy, Josh. Yeah, absolutely. I, I had a, I had a great time chatting with him, and of course, you know, now he's got the sequel to Bird Box coming out this year, and you know, and he just like released the the UK cover reveal the other day, and it's it's kind of amazing. It, it's just you know it's so cool seeing all that happen. And I feel like it just kind of continued to, it continues to snowball, I guess. Uh, Cause well, I, I started yeah. kind of following him on social media before, you know, he kind of blew up and he was, you know, doing these small little conventions and, you know, taking pictures of fans and stuff. But, um, you know, I, I guess the, the same thing kind of happened with you a little bit when, when the silence hit Netflix is, you know, people were like kind of scrambling to go read the book, you know, right after they saw the movie and stuff, which, which I think is fantastic. I think if that's a way to get people to, to read more books, then gosh, do it for more movies. Yeah, totally. I mean, it was, it was, um, I don't think it sort of had the, I mean, Bird Box became a phenomenon, really became a, um, it was a meme. I mean, he's been on shit. He was on The Simpsons. Right. They did the box challenge on The Simpsons. Holy shit. I mean, The Silence didn't quite have that impact. I've got to be honest. Um, uh, I mean, I did sell more books because of it. And uh, I do remember, so I was in, um, my wife and I had this nice little Airbnb just off Melrose in, in Los Angeles. And I woke up in the morning. It was like three in the morning. And I checked my phone, which was a stupid idea. It was the day of release because over here in the UK, it was it was out. It was on net, It was on Netflix. So I, I sort of had a look on social media and just had to sit up for the next few hours, just, you know, replying to stuff and reading stuff and seeing what people thought about it. And it was, it was a, yeah, it was a great, great, great experience. No doubt. Yeah. I gotcha. <laughs> um, so let's, uh, let's talk about your, your upcoming release uh, on April 7th. It's called Eden. So it's being published by Titan books. Uh, it's touted as a horror eco thriller and it's been said it's perfect for fans of Josh Mallerman and Jeff Vandermeer. Uh, but you, like I said, kind of earlier, you've gotten a ton of uh, blurbs from some fantastic writers like Sarah Penborough, Paul Tremblay, Adam Neville, Rio Ewers, and I mean, there's probably ten or fifteen more that I just didn't list because yeah. there's so many. Um, but tell us a little bit about, uh, I, I guess, what Eden is about, how you kind of came up with the idea of it, and then kind of what we can expect once we dive in. Okay, so. Yeah, Titan came up with the horror eco thriller tag, which I really love because uh, it, it sort of pins its pins itself to the mask straight away, and that's exactly what it is. It's a it's a um, environmental horror, I guess. I mean, I'm quite I'm, as we all are getting more and more aware of the environmental problems we've caused. Um, 
my daughter's doing a geography degree, so I, I tend to talk to her a lot about uh, environmental issues and people's perception of it and all, all the whole gamut, really. So I wanted to come, um, and also, like I mentioned earlier, this was a novel I was writing on spec. It wasn't, it wasn't something um, that I was, you know, churning out a few chapters and then trying to sell it to a publisher. So, so I spent a long time thinking about what sort of novel I wanted to write. And I knew it, it wanted it, it, I wanted it to be something to do with the environment, but also it's um, it's quite heavily influenced by the the endurance sports stuff I do. Mm-hmm. So um, so the basic the sort of basic idea of Eden is that it's near future. Uh, we've passed the, the tipping point, and the, the climate crisis is increasing exponentially. So there are um, floating islands of, of rubbish to the sea and the, um, there's droughts and just terrible stuff happening. So the world as a, as a, as a United Nations or whatever decide to set up, um, some, they call them the virgin zones, which are vast tracts of land where humanity is excluded from. We withdraw from these areas, um, and let nature take over again, let nature sort of cleanse itself and, and reestablish itself without any influence from us. And these areas aren't, aren't only, they're not like nature reserves in the UK or US, they're, they're not scientific experiments, they're not anywhere you can go on holiday, they're just parts of the planet we've left for nature to take back in the hope that they'll become, uh, I guess, the lungs of the earth, you know, the trees will reestablish themselves and they'll, and they'll become these places on earth that sort of, um, cleanse what we've done to the planet so obviously there are groups of people uh, who are attracted to places like this and they uh one certain group is uh, adventure racers who like um the, the, the harsher the terrain the better so one group of adventure racers wants to race across eden be the first to go into the this place and race across eden but they discover inside that um, nature's established itself in um in sort of surprising ways and, and in Eden, mankind is no, no longer welcome. So stuff happens. But it is a horror novel, but, uh, uh, but also one, um, with a sort of upbeat tone in a way about nature establishing itself in Eden. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, heavily, heavily informed by the endurance sports stuff I do as well. Um, I, I, I love it. I think it's, it's one of the best things I've ever written. And, uh, some people would say I've written too much, but you know, I've written quite a lot and, um, but I think it's, it's definitely one of the best. I think I'm, I'm delighted with how much, uh, how much effort Titan are putting behind it. You know, I'm going to be doing a little signing tour in the UK. Um, uh, like you said, the blurbs, I mean, I'm so, I'm so thrilled with the, the reaction I've, I've got from people from writers I really respect. Uh, yeah, it's good. It's good. Yeah, and, and I've I've uh, already started on them. Actually, that's kind of my plan for today because I've actually got a chill day. So my plan is to to, to potentially finish it today. Um, oh, cool. And uh, and yeah, it, it it it's it's completely different than anything I've read. And I, I say that a lot, but it's nice finding original stories that you come across and really make you think about you know, our carbon footprint on the environment and then what would really happen when we leave something to, to nature and to see how it would kind of have a resurgence. 
Yeah. Um, Cause you know, we, you pass by say, you know, homes and businesses where people just kind of let it go. And mm-hmm. it's really interesting to see how it comes back and it can either be beautiful or horrible. <laughs> oh, yeah. That, that was uh, yeah, that's interesting. You say that. Cause I, I did, I tend not to research my novels a huge amount because I make shit up and, and <laughs> so, you know, research to me sometimes oh, I really do have to research, but this, I did a fair bit. I did an awful lot of research for this book. I read, read quite a bit of stuff, I read a good book got me on my desk now called uh, the world without us by Alan Weisman. That's a great book. But there, there, were, there are two areas of the planet that I researched quite heavily for this. And one of them is um, Pripyat, uh, Chernobyl, which obviously has been abandoned since the, the disaster and nature's reestablished itself there. Mm-hmm. And also the demilitarized zone between North and South Korea, which is uh, a place where there's just no people. You know, there's mm-hmm. two fences and this, this area between them, vast area between them where people just don't go. Um and yeah, and it, it is, it's interesting how nature, uh, you know, returns there pretty quickly, really, and, and in a quite a, it sort of flourishes, even even in Chernobyl. Yeah, um, and, you know, I, I, based on just seeing the movie Annihilation, I can really see the, the Vandermeer comparison. Um, and having read a little bit of his Annihilation series about it really truly being nature and, you know, mm-hmm. kind of seeing you know, his social media is really about nature. And so I, I can, I can see why they would make that comparison. And I, I, based on what I'm reading so far, I, I can not say influences, but I can see kind of how you can make the two and be like, okay, well, if you like this, you'll like this. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I love Jeff's stuff, but I, I don't mind being compared to, compared to it before, but yeah. Yeah. I, I suppose there are, there are similar aspects to it. I right. think mine, I think mine's more of a horror novel than Annihilation. Annihilation is sort of spec sci-fi in a way, um, with with some pretty, with you know, dark and and uh, sinister elements. Right. Yeah, um, it's, it's got some like very like jump scares in it. Um, whereas yours is, you know, it, it kind of it, it's a slow burn in the beginning, but as things start happening and people are turning around and thinking they see stuff, you know, it's it's really neat because it feels like they're kind of being followed. So yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, and it's and it, uh, and you had brought up uh, Pripyat. Yeah, have you have you seen the the I guess the HBO miniseries Chernobyl? Oh, incredible! Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely amazing. I mean, it, it's one of the talk about horror stories. You know, yeah, that was yeah, incredible. It's just so crazy how that all came down, and and that yeah that 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 miniseries was so fantastic. I I loved watching it and the way it was portrayed. But you sit there and go. Oh my gosh! Like I can't imagine that you know that going on like today, say in in the UK or in the US, of just having a complete meltdown no, and everybody trying to you know kick nerd over it. <laughs> but it was, it was like a, it was almost a cosmic horror story. It was it, this this the threat, the radiation threat, was almost a sentient thing. It was all it was almost you almost felt like a sentient being threatening them. It was just there, and they didn't know what to do with it. Didn't know how to handle it. Yeah, it was horrifying, horrifying series. Absolutely. So uh, you said you don't get to read quite as much nowadays, but is there anything lately that you've uh, that you've read or any authors uh, that you would recommend to the audience that maybe maybe aren't you know quite comparative to you, but that you know you think deserve maybe some more attention? Well, yeah, I've been lucky enough to read uh, Paul Tremblay's new novel, Survivor Song. 
um, recently, and it just blew me away. Uh, I think he keeps getting better and better. Um, and it's also it's also very different from what he's done before. I think what I love about Paul is he each each project he approaches in a different manner, and everything's you know everything's quite uh, it's not what you expect it to be. And the Survivor Song is certainly that. I think it's brilliant. I think it's one of his, it could be his masterpiece. Yeah. Terrific, terrific novel. Yeah. I actually, uh, actually just finished that a couple of weeks ago. Um, <laughs> I was, I was told to wait to post my review. So I've got to wait till June, which it just feels so far away, but uh, yeah, I, I'm kind of agree with you. I, I think it's his best book so far. And, uh, and yeah, it's, and for anybody that wants to know, it's, it's kind of like a super rabies, type uh thing that's spread in boston and it's basically a, sur- a survival story of uh of these two women uh and they're trying to 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 get to a you know survival point but basically a virgin zone you know if, if you want to say yeah. in boston and uh and yeah it's just it's it's a thriller it's got scary moments but it's super emotional but yeah it it, it definitely is his best so far except for i really enjoyed his uh his anthology last year growing things uh i think some of those those are some of the best stories he's ever written and i i think he should definitely write more short stories yeah so amazing writer yeah now have you have you done any sort of anthology or short story collection yeah what what do you mean collections of my own work yes yeah, several. I mean, not for a little while. The last one was called Nothing As It Seems from PS Publishing. That was a good few years ago. Um, the one called Last Exit for the Lost from Cemetery Dance. White and Other Tales of Ruin from Nightshade. Uh, As the Sun Goes Down from Nightshade. But I'm actually, honestly, I'm about <laughs> I'm about due another collection now. I've, I've certainly got enough uncollected material. So I have been, that's been on my mind for the last sort of few months about uh, what to put together and where to approach with it. So I, I would like to do another short story collection at some point because I love them, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, you got me thinking on that again. There you <laughs> go. <laughs> so uh, you mentioned earlier that you're currently working on your next book. Um, can you tell us a little bit about it or is it still in the super early stages? Uh, it's really early stages. I, yeah, I don't, I'm, I'm not, a, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, all, I'm not a huge fan of talking about what I'm working on because it, um, it sounds stupid. But if I if I tell you, you know, two minutes about it, and I think to myself, "Well, that sounds really shit," and it'll <laughs> knock my confidence on the novel. So um, all I'll say it, it's along the same lines of Eden. It's sort of another eco horror, but in a very different different way. It's not connected to Eden at all, but it is connected to. Um, uh, environmental change, the environmental crisis. Okay, that's yeah, that's all I'll say about it for now. Uh, very early days. Yeah, you know? I say it's one of those things where you, you're you're starting on it, and if you tell too much, then you change your mind. People are expecting something completely different. <laughs> yeah, partly that, but but also partly, you know, I, I'm always I'm always very delicate about what I'm work, about my own work. Um, mm. uh, you know, I, I'll have moments where I think, why am I doing this? Because it's really not very good. Um, and uh, I, I best my best way to approach something is to sort of insulate myself with it and, and let me finish it. And uh, and also, I've like I said earlier, I've, I'm handwriting the whole thing. Yeah. And I'm a bit worried because my handwriting is so terrible that when I come to type it up, I might not even be able to read it. 
get through my notebook now. I think I'll get the gist. But so I guess, I guess, I guess once you get to it, you'll figure out. Does this sentence make sense? I don't. Yeah. I don't think I can actually read. Is that is that an and? I can't tell. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get the gist. It'll be okay. I gotcha. So um, I guess are you? Do you plan on any more? I guess series or trilogies, kind of like you did with the relics, or are you planning on just trying to do standalones from now on? Or I guess it just depends on what comes to mind. May, largely what comes to mind, but I honestly standalones my my bigger preference. I'm much I'd much prefer to write standalones. Relics I enjoyed, really enjoyed writing the series, but um Yeah, I I it's difficult writing book three when you both wrote book one three years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And also yeah. during the course of writing a trilogy, you were the same characters and the same story, and so many other stories keep popping up in my head that I want to write. Um so with standalones, you get you get the freedom of thinking, right, I've, you know, even now I'm thinking about future novels, but I've got, uh, uh, you know, another four four months or so working on this novel and then I'll be able to drop onto something else. Yeah. And also I'm sort of doing, um, trying to do a bit more screen stuff now. So I'm developing a couple of things for TV, which are really sort of early stages, but um, trying to spread my wings a little it's such a great time for for you know novelists and stuff with so much so much novelistic TV going on. TV lately has exploded, and it's just there's some amazing stuff being made. Absolutely. So um, you know, I'm, I've, I've actually got a TV series in development that I can't really I can't talk about, but it's in development um, with some great people involved. Uh, and another thing I'm trying to develop and get off the ground. So. Um, so the idea of writing the trilogy is is just it's looking too much into the future, really. So standalones for me for now on. I gotcha. Yeah, I, I you know, granted, this is nothing even close to writing a book or writing a series, but I kind of find the same when I'm writing reviews for series that that go on three, four, five, six books. You know, you kind of you kind of say everything you want to in the first couple, and then you kind of run out of things to say, other yeah. than. Just like the first two books, this was fantastic. You know, it's 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 really hard to come up with new material because you kind of you stay with the same characters, you stay with the similar storyline. It's just more into a future part of the storyline, and you can't really say a whole lot without just giving a synopsis. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, yeah. All right, well, uh, well, Tim, I, I'm out of material. If there's anything else you want to chat about. Uh, how do you think, you know, do you think you've got anything else that you want to add? Um, no, I think we're good. I mean, uh, just trying to think. We talked about Eden. The only other thing I've got coming out this year, hopefully, is uh, is my Firefly novel, which is still sort of in editing phase. Okay. Firefly Generations. Um, other than that, I've not got much coming out, but there's lots There's lots ticking over, you know, this the new novel I've written, I'm writing. Yeah. And, um I sort of started this year at a at a run really, and I'm I'm enjoying the. I spent a lot of last year doing proposals and pitching stuff, um, and this year I'm just writing stuff. I'm writing stuff for my for myself, and hope, hopefully it's going to all find a home. So I got a few a few exciting projects on the go. Um, I keep my feet on the ground though. Yeah, you know I'll, I'll have uh, <laughs> yeah. So so I'll I'll have skypes with with. Uh, screenwriters and producers in LA and it's all really exciting and I'm buzzing and buzzing and buzzing and then I have to go out and pick up my dog's turds in the back garden <laughs> <laughs> just keep their feet on the ground get a dog get a dog 
Yeah. <laughs> I've got three of them, so <laughs> we're good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, awesome. Well, well, Tim, I really appreciate you coming on. I'm glad we got to do this. I'm glad, you know, our, our channels kind of worked out to get us together and, um, everybody, you can find Tim on Twitter at Tim Levin. Uh, you can also find his website, timlevin.net. And like we talked about, Eden is going to be hitting store shelves on April 7th. So definitely be looking out for that one and look out for a review from me in the coming weeks. But Tim, thank you again. And uh, let's do this again. Absolutely. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Really good traffic. Let's Fantastic. do it again. Have a good one. Okay. Thanks, everyone, for tuning into my chat with Tim Levin. Uh, definitely look out for Eden hitting shelves on April 7th. Tune in next week when I chat with horror author Tim Meyer. We'll talk about his brand new novel coming out in April as well called Dead Daughters. I've also just added Matthew Ward, the author of Legacy of Ash, coming from Orbit Books here pretty soon. It's a fantastic novel for anybody that's looking for an epic fantasy book that you know you're still waiting on that winds of winter from george R. R. martin but definitely look forward to that chat next weekend and then on the 25th i'll be talking with fantasy author christian cameron and then on the 27th i will be talking to historical fantasy author Teresa frohawk so definitely a lot of great podcasts coming up guys but thank you all again for tuning in and uh check in next time thanks <laughs>